good morning, guys. Really glad to be together with you, my family, assembled together in worship. I absolutely love that. Uh, I am just glad to be alive today. Uh, some of you might have caught that last Sunday when I was standing before you, I was in my 40s. Let's just leave it right there, okay? Uh, now, I know you're probably looking at me going, really, you're only 50? Because with all that gray, you look more like 60. That's your fault, all right? That's you all, that did, and particularly you two, right? But, but that's, that's you all that did that to me, so... There it is. Anyway, uh, I'm really glad to be uh, not only in worship, but in the Word. So we get to hear from God's Word today, and I'm looking forward to that. Let's, let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Father, we do love you. We trust in you, not in a pastor, not in a man. We need to hear from you. And so we want to ask, would you overwhelm this time with your Holy Spirit, uh, that you would have your way, that you would, uh, your Word would fall on tender and humble and teachable hearts, that people could hear from you. Change our lives, Lord. Speak, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've taken a break from Luke, and we're in this series called God Never Said That. And what we're doing in this series is looking at misattributed quotes, you know, where something is said, and we say it came from somebody, but it actually came from somebody else, right? Uh, there's an example of this in The Office, a misattributed quote. You remember this scene where Michael Scott claimed the quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, which is actually Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. There it is. So sometimes it's funny, but sometimes it gets serious. Like uh, there was uh, this quote right here, I mourn the loss of thousands of precious lives, but I will not rejoice in the death of one, not even an enemy. It's actually a really good phrase. Martin Luther King Jr. never said that. He never said that. What happened is there was a woman named Jessica Dovey who on Facebook, she wrote that. And if you look at it here, see the first line, that was her saying. And then she included a very famous and awesome quote from MLK. And and, what happened is once that started to get shared around the internet, they dropped the quotes out and they just said it all came from MLK. And it didn't. It didn't. And so now we're misattributing a quote to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So sometimes it is funny, sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's tragic. And it's particularly tragic, and hence the point of this series, the tragic part is when we misattribute quotes to God. When we come up with things in our own human mind and we say that God said them, that we play ventriloquist with God. And that's tragic. And the reason why is because we end up with the God of our imagination, not the God of revelation. That's a very serious thing. And that's why we're talking about this series. Now, we come today to an infamous misattributed quote, and that is this, God helps those who help themselves. That's right. God helps those who help themselves. Now, Barna Research did a study on this phrase, and it turns out when they looked at the general population of America, gen pop, not prison, but like all America, right? So they looked at the general population. 82% of Americans think this is in the Bible. When they just narrowed it to Christians in America, it dropped from 82% all the way down to 81%. (laughs) We're one full percentage point better than the heathens, right? So there it is. Now, 75% of American teenagers think this is the central message of the Bible. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? 
I mean, it's, it's not in the Bible. Nonetheless, another poll was done. What do you think are the most popular Bible verses? This was at the top of the list. This polled the highest. And it's not in the Bible, right? Oh my goodness. Now, where did it come from? Well, it came from ancient Greece. That's our earliest recording of it. Aesop's fables. Maybe you've heard of these. There's one called Hercules and the Wagoner. The Wagoner gets his wagon helplessly stuck in the mud. He calls out for the god Hercules to help him. Hercules shows up on the scene and he says, get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves. A pro tip for you. Uh, Hercules is a false god, not the one true god, right? So when we say God never said that, don't come at me with the god Hercules. That's not the point, okay? It's a false god. God never said that. Now, most of you are not familiar with Aesop's fables, but you're more familiar with Benjamin Franklin. This is why we're so familiar with this phrase in America today. In the 1700s, Franklin wrote uh, the Poor Richard's Almanac. And on one of the pages, you see the arrow in the bottom left there indicating the phrase, God helps them that help themselves. You might respond to that and say, well, wait a minute. Franklin's not God and the almanac's not the Bible. Exactly. That's the point, right? That's the point. It's not in the Bible. And so what we're going to do as we look at this phrase today is we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not the movie with Clint Eastwood, right? But we're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. The reason why I want to talk about the good is because remember what Pastor Jared said last week? That most of these phrases are not full-out lies. That the enemy, what he does is he takes something so much, but he twists it and perverts it a little bit so that we swallow it. But there is some good in many of these phrases. There's good in the phrase for today. You see, we tend to want an enabling God, a God that enables us. So that God doesn't discipline us in laziness, but he just blesses us anyway. And we go, that's the kind of God I want. So what we do then is we pray for a job. I need a job, I pray for a job, and then I go binge watch Netflix. And I expect God to provide a job. And, or another thing that happens is people come and they'll ask for charity. And it turns out they don't want a hand up, they want a hand out. And they're not willing themselves to put in any effort or work. And in those situations, what will happen is we'll say, hey, God helps those who help themselves. And there is some biblical wisdom in that. Like if you look at Galatians chapter 6, the very beginning of the chapter, there's two phrases in there that, that seem to be in contradiction to each other. One of the phrases is, it tells us to bear each other's burdens. Bear each other's burdens. And then shortly after that, it says, each one should bear his own load or her own load. But wait a minute. Well, what happens, you look at the Greek and a burden is an excessive amount that nobody could possibly carry. And God is saying, listen, when that situation's going on, you bear each other's burdens, help each other out. But each one should bear his own load. That's a reasonable amount to expect somebody to carry. So people ought to be able to bear their own load. There's biblical wisdom in that. And it gets a little bit more explicit in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Look what he says here. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. 
For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. That's in there? Yeah, that's in there. I mean, after all, folks, remember not too long ago, we did a mini-series out of Proverbs. We called it Ancient Life Hacks. And I took one Sunday to, from Proverbs, look at the ant versus the sloth. And the whole point is there is wisdom in hard work. We're supposed to try. You can't possibly come out of the scriptures with the idea that God blesses laziness. He doesn't. He disciplines laziness. And so if God has given you the brains and the strength and energy and the resources and the opportunity, and you're not trying, you're just sitting back and chilling, waiting for him to pull off a miracle, that's not what God does. That's not what God does. So yes, there is some biblical truth to the idea that God helps those who help themselves. There's some good in that phrase. Uh, But there is some bad in it. There is some bad in it. See, the, the idea that God helps those who help themselves assumes that everyone can help themselves. And that's not a great assumption in a fallen world. In a fallen, broken world, uh, we, we, we see that there are some who don't have the same opportunity. There is, there is oppression and there is inequality that's in, woven into a broken, fallen world. And, but, but see, what happens if, if you're down on your luck, proverbially, like you're down, what we say is, hey, it must be your own fault. And you don't deserve the help of God and you certainly don't deserve my help. God helps those who help themselves. And so what comes in here is that idea of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But the question becomes, what if you don't have bootstraps? In a fallen, broken world, that's a possibility. And that's that's true. There is oppression. There is inequality throughout the world. And it applies, uh, we we see that, uh, a response to that coming out of the Bible in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, what we encounter there is there is a, uh, Jesus is predicting a future time when he does judgment and and a large cross-section of humanity, he will say, depart from me. And they're like, why? And he said, listen, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I, I was a stranger, I was naked, I was a prisoner, and you didn't help me. I said, Lord, when did that happen? And he said, so, so much as you didn't help the least of these, you didn't help me. Say, Jesus, God helps those who help themselves. Don't respond like that to Jesus. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. Think of all the times in the scriptures when Jesus heals someone. Okay? I want you to imagine you go to read the Gospels and the story goes like this. Jesus comes across a blind guy and he says, God helps those who help themselves and walks away. It's not how the story goes, is it? Not in our Bibles. I'll give you a very plain verse out of Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. 
or you can contrast that with another verse. Second Opinions 3.16 says, God helps those who help themselves. Now, one of those is in the Bible and the other is not. And we are called to defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. And that's a biblical charge put upon us as disciples of Christ. And to talk about that and live that out is called Christianity. Now, there are many applications that we could go around the world. Of course, right now in our nation, there is a large emphasis, I think appropriately, on systemic racism and the oppression of black folks. And so that it lends to that. I'm going to talk about that for just a moment here. I just want you to know the kind of the humor of God in this. We planned this miniseries eight months ago. We chose the phrases and the dates eight months ago. And we knew we would have to be talking about this, the way God helps those who help themselves gets applied in this situation. And, and yet here we are today. And okay, God, all right. Uh, the average black household has one-tenth the wealth of the average white household in our nation. That's in 2020, all right? How did we get there? Well, obviously, listen, when you free slaves, they don't have any money, right? And, and then we came in with the peonage system or a, the criminal leasing system so that they basically stayed in chains on those plantations and worked for free. And then there was Jim Crow and there was segregation. There's all kinds of stuff. But, but one of the things that happens, I think, for us white folks, we think that is all ancient history. That was a long time ago. One of the things we uh, forget, well, and let me just point out this. The issue of household wealth is important because it's generational wealth that is in view here. When you talk about generational wealth, you're talking about the ability to send your kids to college without them racking up crushing debt. We're talking about the ability to have a down payment to buy a house. We're talking about having an emergency fund to get through tough times. We're talking about having capital that you can start a small business. We're talking about inheritance that you pass along. That's why this is very important. So how did we get here? Isn't ancient history? Well, let's talk about redlining. Redlining is the practice that happened that the federal government took black neighborhoods, black communities and cities, predominantly, right? And, and then drew a red line around them and said that we will not give federally backed loans to the people living in these communities. Who's that? Black people. And at the same time, it was shown that banks would be lending to lower income whites, but not middle or upper income blacks. They were better risk, they'd lend to the white folks. And realtors and banks conspired so that they wouldn't allow blacks to buy homes in white neighborhoods. So the only thing they were left to do was to go to predatory lenders and, and have these extraordinarily high interest rates. The people who had the least money to afford it anyway. Now understand, owning a home is one of the best ways to build generational wealth. And this was denied to them. So as you hear about redlining, one of the things I think happens uh, for us is we think we're talking about uh, like history long ago, right? Like 50s, 60s, maybe 70s. Let me give you some bullet points of some judgments because eventually the, the federal government went, oh, that's wrong. And then they started to uh, push banks back in the other direction. So here you go, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development announced a $200 million settlement with Associated Bank over redlining in Chicago and Milwaukee in May of, I think, 60s, 70s, 80s, 2015, five years ago. Okay, we're not talking ancient history. 
New York Attorney General announced a settlement with Evans Bank for $825,000 in September of 2015. The United States Department of Justice announced a $33 million settlement with Hudson City Savings Bank, which services New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania in September of, yeah, you guess it, 2015. This is not ancient stuff. Of course, then there are uh, problems in our public school system, some inequalities in that. Uh, one study showed that, uh, okay, when you have a gifted student, for the gifted student to get into the gifted program, usually that student has to be recommended by uh, the teacher. And they found that equally gifted white and black students, if the teacher was black, they were recommended at the same rate. If the teacher was white, the black students were recommended half as often. We think of this as the land of opportunity. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. God helps those who help themselves. But a, a multi-generational study just wrapped up in 2018, just two years ago, that tracked the ability for people to go from the lowest quintile, the lowest 20% of society, to the upper 20% economically. And of course, that's a steep climb, right? And so white people were able to pull it off 10.6% of the time. But for black folks, it dropped to 2.5%. Four times less likely to make that climb. Thought this was the land of opportunity. And part of the problem is getting jobs. And so we've seen linguistic bias. So sometimes uh, white folks and black folks, we talk just a little bit different at times. And so when somebody calls up and asks for a job, as opposed to ask for a job, no, we're not hiring, sorry. Or then there is uh, name bias has been shown by another study, very interesting study, where they had uh, identical resumes. They duplicated a resume. On one resume, they put a very white sounding name. I can't remember the names, but let's say Rick, right? Very white sounding name. And, uh, and then on, uh, on the other resume, they put a very black sounding name, like Jamal, okay? Same resume, the black resumes got 50% less interviews. All they know is the, the resume and the names, that's all they knew, 50% less. All right, so what's my point? My point is that there's bias. And this gets felt by people in our midst. Just earlier this week, I was in our North Kitchen. I was hanging out talking about these things with Shana. Shana is on our staff, and she's black. And she was telling me about the naming of, of her two sons and the tension she felt in her soul because she knew she had two choices. She could give her sons names that were in line with their history and heritage and their culture, or she could give them a chance at employment someday. She had to choose between those. Listen, when Shannon and I named our children, we didn't even think about their future employment. Are you kidding me? That's the furthest thing from our mind. Fellow white parents who named our children, we love our kids' names, right? Could you imagine if I came around and said, you got to change it, you got to change it. And whatever you think of your child's name right now, we're scratching off and you got to give it something different so they can get a job someday. Wouldn't you hate that? Again, the point is that we, in a fallen world, we don't all have equal bootstraps, okay? Not only, so, so I'm, I'm hitting you with, because it's, it's apropos right now, the issue of systemic racism in America, but it's really around the globe, but this is a fallen, broken world, and not everybody has the same amount of opportunities. 
So we looked at the good implications of this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. There are some good implications, but it's also used in a very bad way to ignore the oppressed and to blame them for their own oppression and to excuse myself from helping them out. God helps those who help themselves. And that's bad and it's unbiblical because we see in the scriptures that actually when you read it, God helps the oppressed and God helps those who help the oppressed. Those are very biblical themes right there, all right? So let's be careful of using it in a very bad way. All right, so, so what we've looked at so far is there's a good idea there, there's a bad idea there. So we've looked at the good, the bad, and now the ugly. And by that, I mean the ugly truth. I could have called it the good, the bad, and the truth, but that doesn't sound as good, right? Because of Eastwood, right? So the good, the bad, and the ugly truth. And the reason why is because there is, in the Bible, there is a very simple and very ugly truth, and it is this. We are all helpless. We're helpless. God helps those who help themselves, but we are helpless. Now, we don't like that idea, especially as Americans. We love that bootstrap thing, right? And and I'm the captain of my fate, and I can help myself. I can get it done. I got this. And that's why in America, there is the self-help book industry is huge. There's 45,000 titles out there for self-help books. That's a big industry. One of those titles is How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less. (laughs) Takes me a lot longer. I should read that book. Or how about this one? How to Think More About Sex, which I believe is in the women's section. Because otherwise, it's the most unnecessary book ever. (laughs) Going on record there, but that's one of the self-help books. I don't know why. Listen, it's a 45,000 book industry. That's an $11 billion industry, all pointed at the fact that we are fairly certain we can fix ourselves. What that means is we're very human-centered in our theology, that we think we've got this. But when you go into the Bible, the Bible is incredibly God-centered. Look, if you will, at some of these verses. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, not one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Okay, look at that verse. If God helps those who help themselves, that means God helps nobody, because none of us helped ourselves. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, while we were pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps? No. While we were helping ourselves? No. While we were still causing the problem, Christ died for us. Give you one more from Romans. 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Free gift means grace, means undeserved, unmerited. We didn't help, we didn't earn it, we didn't pull up. To tease out that idea a little bit, I love this uh, quote that I came across from Andrew Hamilton. It's a little longer, but it's beautiful. Look at this. He says, thankfully, the idea that God helps those who help themselves does not capture the truth of the Bible. 
God is the God of the hopeless cause, the God who loves sinners, the God who walks with us through the darkest valleys. He is the God who brings light into our darkness and helps us find peace amid our times of anxiety and despair. God rescues, redeems, and forgives. We receive blessings from God even though we cannot earn them and don't deserve them. Even when we have made a mess of the things and and can't fix them, God extends mercy to us. And he goes on to say this. He said, there's a word for God's mercy to those who cannot help themselves. We call it grace. The concept of grace is central to the Christian gospel. It is the undeserved work of God in our lives, the unmerited favor of God. Grace is not something we earn, buy, or work for. We cannot help ourselves into grace. We can only ask for it and accept it. The essence of grace is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. See, central to Christianity is the Bible. Central to the Bible is the gospel. Central to the gospel is the idea that it is all by grace, not by works. And and when you talk about works, you know what works is? God helps those who help themselves. That's works. Grace is God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's grace, and that's the Bible. And Jesus gave us a story to tease this out. It's one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells. And uh, it's in Luke, Luke chapter 18. And we've already covered it as we went through Luke. I was so ticked because Pastor Jared got that Sunday. Like, that's one of my stories, man. But he did a great sermon. Uh, loved it, loved it. But he tells this story, and I'll just cover it in brief. Look, look what he says in Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Do you feel that already? You got one. He's talking to crowds who think they help themselves and other people didn't help themselves and they look down on them. That's what's going on. So here's the story. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I, twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, now remember, tax collectors were like prototypical sinners, the worst of the worst in their society. So the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's what I want you to catch and remember this morning. Christianity is not for the little engine who could. It's for the train wreck who just simply can't. Christianity is not for the little engine that could. It's for the train wreck that simply can't. And for you to see that and feel that a little bit, I'm going to show you a video clip here in a second. Maybe you've seen on YouTube this judge. The the clips are called Caught in Providence because that's where he's a judge. 
I'm not going to show you the full thing for time. I'll give you the bullet points going into it. There's this lady. Her son has died. He's actually been killed. Uh, so she, it's tragic enough, but Social Security messed up there for her payments. And, and so now she lost her income stream. She's getting evicted. She goes to eviction court. She's getting parking tickets. Another parking meter didn't work. All these parking tickets are stacking up. And she says, I just can't win. She owes $400 in parking tickets. Now note this. She did it. She was wrong. She didn't help herself. And now she's before the judge. Watch this. tough year already. I, I really, I'm on SSBI. I don't, I don't have four hundred dollars to give you on top of whatever else. I really do. I just had to come up with money for a new apartment. I'm still paying Russell with Boyer for my son's funeral. Like, I, I don't know where this money's supposed to come from. I wish I would have got my brother that night, and he wouldn't have killed my son. That's why my son's good. I'm just really having a tough time, Your Honor. I think we can all express our sympathy to you and understand the trauma that you have experienced. <clears throat> I'm still going back and forth to court for that. There's still emotions and I'm going to take all of the circumstances that you just have explained to me into consideration and see if I can balance the equities to protect the interests of the city and take into consideration, you know, the horrific story that you just told us relative to your son. I don't think anyone in their lifetime would ever want to experience that, so. It's the worst feeling in the world. I feel so empty, Lord. I'm going to reduce this to uh, $50. How much time do you need to pay it? I have it on me now. All right. That's not going to leave it without any money, is it? I'll leave it with $5. Thank you, Rihanna. <clears throat> I'm not going to leave you with $5. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to, I'm going to dismiss everything. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> with our best wishes, and hope that things turn around good for you. Okay, good, good luck to you. As you watch that and even look at her on screen, I hope that you identify with her because her story is our story. Christianity is not for the little engine that could it's for the train wreck that just can't. She's a train wreck. We're a train That's us. Like when you watch this, sometimes we identify with characters. We want to identify with the judge. No. She is us. We made a mess of things. And we get all judgy. Like, you know, I wonder, I wonder if, she, if she has a smartphone. She should probably give that up. Right? We want to get all judgy on that. And all, instead of seeing a broken, hurting woman in the compassion of the judge. Which is interesting because one of the things that happens, remember, we're moving from being human-centered into the biblical story that is incredibly God-centered. And when you watch this video, did you come away from that going, what a great woman? Or did you come away saying, what a great judge? 
And that's exactly what the story of all history, the gospel itself, does. We didn't help ourselves, and God gets all the glory. So John Stott had a way of teasing this out. He told the story of when he left Cambridge University. That same year, the principal of Cambridge was retiring. And uh, the university hired a very, very talented artist to paint a portrait of the retiring principal. At the unveiling of that portrait, Here's what the retiring principal said. He said, in years to come, when people look at this painting, they will not ask, who is that man? They will ask this question, who was the painter? And I want you to know that throughout all of eternity, when we are on display before angels as trophies of God's grace forever, no, nobody is going to ask, who are these people? People are going to ask, who was the redeemer to take these miserable, selfish, bigoted sinners and exalt them to the right hand of God the Father? Amen? God gets all the glory. Because we can't help ourselves. And he did. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what we've uh, talked about today is the, the more accurate phrases would be things like God helps the oppressed and needy. That's all throughout the scriptures. God helps those who help the oppressed and needy. That's, that's in there too. And we just looked at the fact that God helps those who cannot help themselves. But don't miss that last one. God help, helps those who call out to him. You see, God's help is not automatic. We need to, in, in faith, run to him. We need to repent and run to him and ask. And then he's an incredibly gracious judge. And I'm hoping that maybe during this time of prayer in a moment or maybe during the closing song, some of you will call out to him, perhaps for the, the very first time. And I want to pray for that. Bow your heads with me, if you will. Father, certainly I want to acknowledge the truth in the scriptures that we're not supposed to just be lazy and then ask you to fix things. That we're supposed to try and put in effort. Absolutely, amen. But Father, we also have to admit before you we go the route of pride uh, that somehow the stuff I have, I get to pat myself on my own back and people who are needy, I get to look down and be judgy at them and scorn them. And yet we see in your word that you help the oppressed and needy and you call us to help the oppressed and needy. And we want to respond to that call and ask that you would do that in us and through us. So good to spend most of our time though looking at your gospel. And the fact that we are all just train wrecks. Myself first and most of all. And that in your grace, you helped me when I could not help myself. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for what you did. We want to pray as a congregation. We want to pray that you would do it again. Do it again, Lord, please. And I pray in Christ's name.